Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We made this. Hello, everyone. I'm T Black. <laughs> and I'm C Sweeney. <laughs> Welcome to the discourse. Welcome, in fact, to the royal discourse this week, uh, <laughs> as we're going to be talking a little bit about um, the the next royal hot topic after the crown. That's on everyone's lips. Uh, Harry and Meghan, the new documentary. But before we do, um, a quick reminder to uh, please uh, jump in and follow us on social media at uh, Pod the Discourse on Twitter. Contact the discourse at gmail.com. And please do drop and give us a five-star Apple rating and review. A couple of people have done that lately, mm-hmm. and it's been fab. There was yep. one particularly recently that was so lovely. So thank you so much to whoever did that. Um, I think called us uh, entertaining and... Enlightening, wasn't it? Entertaining and enlightening. Enter- entertaining and enlightening. It's a good and thing a for a podcast. Comment. It is. <laughs> Yeah, maybe if we ever rename, you know. Yeah. Uh, but no, that was really kind. Yeah. Um, so thank you to anyone who's doing that. Cause it really does help us uh, get a little bit more known out there. And we've had some lovely comments lately. So cheers, we guys. Have. Thank you very really much. Appreciate yeah. it. And yeah, thank you as yeah. well to all the people who downloaded our Sight and Sound episode, which very rapidly mm. became our most downloaded episode. Evs, didn't it? It so did. That was good. Evs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you think just because that was such a popular topic and it was on everybody's lips in the film world that week, people were searching for discourse on sight and sound and founders yeah it could be yeah it could be maybe they literally put sight and sound discourse <laughs> and then we came up um but it also aired on the movie palace your uh, other yeah. show as well which might have helped as well because that did quite well and uh and you know we have, we've had a couple of other podcasts on the we made this network that were part of do uh, episodes on this we've had one on real talk hosted by nick chandler and um and we've had one on Movieversaries, hosted by Bo Nicholson and Ian Buckley. And they've both been really good alternate episodes talking about the same kind of thing. So um, do go and check those out if you haven't already, guys. Uh, and we're going to be talking our own top 10, aren't we, Carl, towards the new year. And we're going to give our own, t- what we would, what if we'd have been asked, what we would have given. So that's going to be quite a nice little return to the topic. Yeah, I think so. And it's um, we're going to do it going to do it in two episodes, aren't we? We're going to do your list and then my list to compare. The yeah. lowbrow with the highbrow. No, just, <laughs> just kidding. No, no, you, you, you're probably right, <laughs> to be fair. Uh, <laughs> so let's uh, let's get into our topic today then, uh, which is, as I said, Harry and Meghan, the new six-part Netflix documentary, which is charting the story of Prince Harry, the second son of Prince Charles and uh, Diana, uh, Princess of Wales, back in the day, and his bride, Meghan Markle. And we, it's a story we all 
pretty much no. I think anyone who lives in the in the in the Western world, and maybe even further afield, will know the broad beats of this story. And this documentary is a result of the fact that in recent years, Harry and Meghan have essentially been trying to build a brand, a media brand, through their company Archwell, named in part after their son Archie, I think. And and they and they partnered with Netflix with for a fair bit of money in order to make a documentary that's a bit of a tell-all, really. It's their it's I suppose it's their version of Diana's panorama interview from the nineties, essentially, but writ large, you know, in six parts and, you know, production design, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And we just felt it was worth coming to this because obviously we did an episode on The Crown, season five. And, and in some ways, this is almost like a sequel, really, <laughs> um, to that, to that season of The Crown, because it's that that all that stuff in the past with Charles and Di is very much in the um in in the backstory of Harry and Meghan. So there there's there's a quite a bit to chew on. Carl, you've seen it. What do you think of this whole endeavour? Okay, so Harry and Meghan, which Netflix are advertising as a global event and i think we can talk about that i think there is actually some justification for that uh, claim yeah i watched all six episodes uh, they came out in two parts didn't they volume one and volume two three episodes at a time uh, one week after the other so i watched uh, the first three uh, last weekend and then uh, volume two in the last couple of days so the first thing i will say is that i found this very watchable actually but I found it very watchable whilst also not really buying a lot, a lot of it and finding aspects of it quite superficial. So, yeah, I suppose it's kind of two things sitting together with varying degrees of success, isn't it, Tony? I think in some ways it's a, a documentary account of the Harry and Meghan saga, and it very, very much is presented as a saga. Um, and that sort of sits alongside it's what what you could call more reality TV style trappings, couldn't it? At home with the Sussexes or something like yeah. that. Um, <laughs> and I felt like the documentary parts of it were better. You know, I thought, it was, I thought they'd compiled some very interesting footage <coughs> and yeah. actually reliving those events, whether it needed a full six hours, I don't know. But to be fair, I found very, like I say, watchable. And I think there were parts of it that went on a bit, but... Actually, when when I was going into it, I was thinking six hours was pushing it, and I didn't really have a problem with that in the final reckoning so much. The thing is, I think it's... Um, although some of the documentary things are well put together, although there's some great footage, I think it comes across as a bit of a hagiography. And I don't know what you think, but a hagiography, but one that was well made, but one that's kind of very riven with paradoxes, I thought. So the overall message seems to be... And you may think I'm being unfair, you can jump in if you think I am, but the overall message seems to be, look at how amazing the Harry and Meghan love story is. Look at how unfairly they've been treated by the press and by their families. Look at how talented and committed they are, and reflect on how much of a loss it is for the royal family that they're now in America. And then, towards the end, of course, look at how wonderful their new life is. And, yeah, I think there are some paradoxes there, because... Although that seems to be the message on the surface, I'm not sure they came across Harry in particular as particularly happy and content, actually. So I think there's something interesting going on here where under the surface, what's being communicated seems to be at odds with what's coming through, you know, what what seems to be the intended message almost. And it left me feeling a bit sad, actually, in certain ways. Um I would recommend that people watch this if they have an interest in, obviously, Harry and Meghan or this this broader 
saga. But it's a fascinating one. Um, what did you think? Yeah, I agree with a lot of that. And I agree that it's it's fascinating. I think it's going... Uh, whether it will quite go down in history in the same respect as that Panorama interview with Diana did, I don't know. But I think it's going to be a bit... And it probably won't, but I think it's definitely going to be a bit of a draw-the-line moment for these two in the sense of this documentary is is complicated because... Let me put it this way. So when when I went into this, for years, I've always been... And my wife's very similar. We've always been of the mind that... Harry and Meghan, and I, I, this hasn't changed in my head, that Harry and Meghan clearly love each other. They they are, I think, fundamentally decent people and they're nice people and they just want to have a a, a life with a family. I, I believe all of that still. That, this hasn't changed my mind in any of that. I think that fundamentally, Harry has never really got over Diana's death, really, in, in, in a different way to William. I think William has... Uh, being aware of his life to come and the fact that he is the eventual inheritor of this institution, which they are at pains to constantly say instead of the royal family. This documentary is constantly trying to use other words to avoid saying things like H and M is how Harry and Meghan refer to themselves or has and Meg. It made me want to throw up <laughs> multiple times. <laughs> but they call the royal family a lot of the time the institution. Mm-hmm. Now, William, I think, has accepted his his fate with that. Whereas I don't think Harry has ever really gone over Diana's death. And, and uh, you know, I, I never lost my mum when I was 15. I can't imagine what it would be like for anybody. But I think ultimately he's, a lot of this is driven by two, well, well his fear in many ways of Meghan's life going down the same road as his mum in a lot of ways. And I think you really see that come through. And, you know, the documentary is, it's almost in the two halves in a way kind of makes sense because the first three are much more about their love story and building all that up and, and putting the context for their relationship. And then the last three are much more about how the media are evil and they essentially try and destroy them, uh, which so you know, it's, it's almost like a story of two halves in that sense. But what I, what I started to feel throughout the whole thing, and my wife was very similar, was that either one of two things are happening here. Either Meghan is incredibly naive, and to some extent Harry is incredibly naive, about everything that's happened to them, or a lot of this is just not true. Or it is a completely, you know, locked into their own narrative level of truth. I don't I don't think for one minute that the media, the British media, are a force for good they are pernicious and frankly at points genuinely quite evil and sadistic in the way they approach lots of different and particularly Megan I think you know I don't take issue with a lot of that tabloid awfulness because that's absolutely happened to them and it's happened to lots of other people but there was you know there was there was an instant a good example is early on they talk about the Royal Rota which is this collection of newspapers that get all of the information essentially the approved information from the palace and nobody else gets it yet they to in order to quote their kind of you know exclusives about all of this terrible stuff that was going on they're citing things like national Enquirer, people magazine closer magazine that's just junk you know that's just awful that's coming out and i was a bit like well what are you trying to say essentially you know you're trying to back up the point that you've been completely hard done by but what it's actually making you look like either is deluded or absolutely crushingly 
like naive about everything that happened, everything you walked into, particularly Megan, or is there a lot of this just lying? You know, is a lot of this, ju- and, and, and I, I really don't want to think of that third one. I really don't want to believe the third one, Carl, to be honest, because I, I, I don't think a lot of it is. I just think, you know, Megan would so often say things like, oh, you know, I had no idea that you had to go in curtsy. I had no idea you had to go and no, do this. And like, yeah. have you ever watched anything you're like, where have you been? Like, I, I found that hard to swallow. Mm. So actually, my sympathy for them by the end actually had ebbed a little bit away. That's fascinating. Really. Yeah. I agree with a lot of what they say about the press, which, as you say, is kind of a running theme through the whole thing. I think that the royal family do get a lot of unfair press coverage. I think in Meghan's case, there obviously was a racial dimension to Mm. that, you know, with Mm. all the sort of um, those headlines about Harry's girl is almost straight out of Compton and all that. Now, uh, there was a better documentary actually on this subject that Amal Rajan did for the BBC in the last year or two. I think it was called The Princes and the Press, but that gave a more sort of rounded perspective on it, whereas this doesn't, Mm. I think, because this is very one-sided. I suppose they would mm. say that that's their prerogative and they want to get their story out there because so often it's mediated through hostile institutions and all of that. But I kind of agree with a lot of what they say in that area whilst also thinking they're attributing the press with too much power. I don't think the British press is quite as powerful as it was back in Princess Diana's day. I think the circulation of the mm. newspapers has mm. fallen substantially. I think, like you say, there was, you know, that's one of the things that happens here is that they don't differentiate fully between all these different publications that they're citing, and that means that they do give, you know, undue prominence to some of these rags, like you're kind of saying, that in the grand scheme of things, I think should be easy to ignore. So I think, like I said, I agree with their basic analysis that, you know, they were treated unfairly by the press in a lot of ways, whilst also feeling a bit sad that, all that stuff very clearly got to them in a way that, you know, you would hope people would be able to rise above. I think it's been possible for other members of the royal family to sort of surmount negative press coverage. I think there was a period, for example, when William was dubbed in the tabloids as Workshy William, and mm. he sort of got over that. And, there was, you know, Kate Middleton was Weighty Katie, and Camilla, for example, has had a lot of unfair press over the mm. years. Mm. I think there are ways you can get past that. And the thing with Harry and Meghan is, of course, they were extremely popular with the public, even at times when they were getting some of those unfair headlines. So, yeah, I think the thing with this documentary is, as much as I agree with, like I say, many of the things that they bring up, I also think that there are times when they come across quite badly. So there's there's something a bit preening about how this documentary presents them, which means that it's hard to take it as authentic, actually. It feels Definitely. too calculated to mm. be authentic. You know, all the things like the video shot in portrait mode and just various things. It means that also that genuine issues that are worth discussing aren't properly aired here. So, like, there were accusations of bullying against Megan, which kind of skated over here. So they sort of say that the timing of the news stories was, in you know, was um, too suspicious that doesn't mean that the stories themselves were completely unfounded. I think there is some level of unanswered, you know, uh, there are unanswered questions there. So, like I said, I, I used the word hagiography earlier. I think it just does come across like that. And I wonder, actually, if it's going to have the intended effect or not. I suspect in this country, it's not going to work wonders for them. I, m- I think it may well play differently elsewhere. Um, and I think perhaps they're more focused now on 
other countries, particularly the United States, aren't they? So mm, time mm. will tell on that. But yeah, it left me with a bit of a sense of sadness because it's kind of like, well, if their new life is as great as they say it is, it seems odd that they need to be out there doing things like this almost. It, it felt, I mean, to me, it felt as much like therapy than it did an actual documentary and that they're sitting there recounting these things, unpicking everything that's happened since they met six years ago. And in in some ways attempting to both come to terms with it and also spin it in a way that avoids certain things or makes them seem consistently hard done by. I mean, all through it, my wife kept saying to me, why did they not just carry on doing what they were doing? You know, they, they even, in I think it's the last episode, they even say how much they enjoyed their last week, their final tour around doing all these things. You know, and Megan's there in the middle of a, a school where all the kids love her and all this kind of thing's going on. I'm a bit like, well, what? You clearly, you clearly enjoyed that. You're clearly good at it, actually. You were going to certain things. Why would? You, why are you giving this up? You know, why are you throwing this away? And, I, and actually, it made me more convinced that they've they they've made a really rash decision, actually, and that 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 they could have found their niche within a royal family where actually they might have been the people who could have really dragged this, especially now the Queen's passed away really dragged this institution into the 21st century with being, you know, champions of various causes in a different way that the royal family have traditionally done or felt like they can do. You know, these two had a real connect. Like you said, they were popular. You know, that when they when they were um, talking about the wedding day, uh, I you know, we, we all watched that. That was 2018. That wasn't that long ago. That was a really nice day. You know, everyone had the day off work. It was a beautiful summer's day. You know, it was a lovely event. I, I remember everyone pretty much full of goodwill, really, at that point, you know, barring, you know, your obvious core group of idiots. And it's a bit like and my, wife, my wife was sitting there saying she better not be slagging this day off because actually it was it was a privilege. And that's the thing all the way through. There was a real sense of, guys, you check your privilege here. Like you. Are, that's very you, true, you, I think. You are you are really, really fortunate. You know, that when they're hard done by and they're going to Canada or they're they're going here, there and everywhere, Botswana, you know. Botswana. You know, they're talking about how, oh, you know, we were struggling to find somewhere properly to live and that kind of thing. And yet, you know, they they never rock up in like a three bed semi on a mum's like, you know, <laughs> At drive you know they never they're always going to these palatial islands or they end up in tyler perry's hollywood oh, yeah. hills mansion and it's a bit like well you know and then and then they're constantly trying to affirm oh we're here we've got a normal life i'm like nothing about your life is normal guys <laughs> nothing like it never will be and no. you've got to accept that you know and and so th there is a real sense of delusion in that, that what they're trying to present themselves as is not I don't know whether they're just trying to present themselves as as one of the, the people or, or it's hard to understand because on the one hand, they are going to live a life of luxury forever, wherever they are now. But on the other hand, what they don't want is all of the the trappings that, mm -hmm. that come from that. And it, it, I, I've never believed the narrative that Megan is this master manipulator. You know, I was, I was around my in-laws talking about this with them. Um, my brother-in-law, bless him, who doesn't always have the most um, liberal-minded views, <laughs> as a as a, a well, a, you know, a successful businessman who lives in uh, the southwest of England. But you know, and and he he was and he was saying that um, you know he, uh, he, she's a master manipulator, and I've never believed that. But I've always, I've always, I came out of this thinking, how how much of this, Megan? have you directed particularly this this documentary and how much of it, of an influence do you have over harry with some of this stuff and, and and that to me 
that that is the exact opposite that they want to get out of this documentary. If someone like me, who was who is pretty liberal minded, who has always really supported them, who still wants them to be happy, you know, I've I've not suddenly massively changed my mind. But if I've got my doubts by the end of this that what they're really presenting is true, then that's that that's a backfire. That is a massive backfire, I think. And that's exactly what they don't want this to be. A lot of this comes round to economics in my mind. I think they sort of try and paint economics out of the picture in a certain way. And I think that I couldn't forget that when I was watching it. So yeah, when they take off to Botswana for five days, I was kind of thinking, well, this just feels like safari porn, really. You know, it, I found it very hard to... <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? You watch, I have you watched it... much uh, safari porn, Carl? <laughs> well, I felt like I was watching it then, for sure. Um, <laughs> just in the sense, like you were saying, that for all the unfairness that they have received at the hands of the press and perhaps others you know there are there are definitely perks to that lifestyle that i don't think were always fully acknowledged here i think maybe because they i don't know they were quite sort of wedded to the fairy tale aspect of this as a story weren't they as well i think they were almost trying to have the cake and eat it in a certain way now i think economics might be a crucial factor here in another sense too i think that if they're going to do this kind of thing Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Actually, they probably have quite a limited window to do it in, don't they? Because just the, the brutal reality of royal life and celebrity life is that, well, A, it's only going to be a few years until a new generation of royals are really in the public spotlight. Mm. You know, once mm. people like Prince George turn 18, there'll be a lot of focus on them. Yeah. And you think that the Sussexes, who they don't have a defined constitutional role, obviously. Harry's not going to end up king, barring the most unlikely of circumstances. Mm. You know, you'd think they, in the natural order of things, they would recede from view. And of course, Meghan, so I don't, I don't know. I think they obviously they've pitched up in Los Angeles, which it, it kind of made me want to throw up a bit when the, the whole narrative is the only place they could possibly have gone to get their freedom is Los Angeles, California. I mean, give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just felt find myself feeling really cynical about that. Yeah. So, they probably have quite a limited window to do this in because, like I say, Harry's um, going to be sort of overtaken by these other royals. Meghan's acting career is not going to sort of take off in the way it maybe could have if she'd have um, not ended up with Harry. And in the natural order of things, they would just kind of recede from view. Um, obviously, Harry's got an autobiography out fairly soon, I think. So I, I feel like they think if they're going to cash in and make this independent life for themselves they have to do this sort of thing pretty sharpish. Mm. And I think that's probably why they did the Oprah Winfrey in interview to begin with, and now this, and then, like I said, Harry's book. So I think that must be underlying some of this. I think it isn't just about settling scores. I'm sure it must be about um, the financial aspect of it too. Yeah, no, it will be. It, it, it will be about money. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Absolutely. So when I was saying that this thing was full of paradoxes, um, I just wanted to see what you thought about some of the things I was thinking as I was watching this. So, like I said, the fact a documentary like this being released doesn't seem to fully square up with what they've said previously about how they just want privacy. Nor does the fact of, like I said, living in LA and all that, living in that celebrity milieu. 
Uh, I think there are other paradoxes too. Like they won't say a bad thing about the queen, but they're very critical of that institution she presided over for 70 years. And it seems to me there's a bit mm. of a tension there. And all I can attribute it to, and I might be off base to do this, but I think that's a calculation. I think they realise how popular the queen was and that if it becomes a kind of personal attack on her, they'll lose even more support. So they stop short of saying that, even though if you take some of these things to the logical conclusion, that's kind of what they're pointing towards. And again, they're very critical of the monarchy, but they don't take that argument to its logical conclusion either. So they've kept their titles and they always stop short. Harry stops short of calling for it to be abolished. So it, it kind of leaves you in a bit of an unsatisfying kind of liminal place, I think. As an argument, it doesn't fully resolve itself. So... I don't know. Did you did you pick up on any of that? Yeah, no, I, th- I definitely think those things are there. And it was interesting. Apparently, he the rumour is that he, he asked for them to delay this about a year, for about a year after the Queen's oh, really? death. Because at the, the, the very beginning of the show, yeah, apparently, at the very beginning of the show, there is a disclaimer that says all of these interviews were recorded before August 2022 oh, yeah, yeah. or in August 2022, before the Queen's died. So they're at pains to make the point. The reason this isn't mentioned is because this happened beforehand. And I think... Apparently, Netflix said no to both that and also him wanting to make cuts and and changes. Now, whatever they are, I don't know. It could be that maybe he want what he wanted to do was change things about that that were said about the Queen. Because there's one or two moments where there's one moment in particular where they seem to suggest that the Queen has been controlled by her oh, yeah. her system. You know, when she says, "Oh, come and stay, come and stay, it's fine," and then suddenly they call up and she says, "Oh no, I'm busy." You know, and that's a big thing to suggest that the queen is not the gaffer and she's not making the decisions. And it's that kind of stuff that makes you think, are they just paranoid? You know, my wife at that point said, is it entirely possible that she's getting on and she's maybe not quite remembered that she's got stuff to do that week? And somebody's going, oh, actually, mom, like you, you know, you have this, this and this, you know, or are they just seeing conspiracy everywhere? Mm. And and it, it does make you wonder, you know, so then you have these these moments where. They, they they sort of want they want to be in and out of the whole thing in a way, I think. And they, yeah. they want mainly to be out, but they don't want to lose some of the privileges that that come with it. You know, they're constantly going on about security. Oh, well, we didn't have security mm-hmm. or they couldn't get security or well, what about our security? And it's like, yeah, but if you just genuinely want to go off and become, you know, either Hollywood stars. You know, he says at one point, oh, I'm, are we moving to LA? Because that's where my mum was going to end up. And there were lots of talk. There was lots of talk, wasn't there, about how Diana was potentially going to try and become an act- an, a Hollywood actor and she was going to be in The Bodyguard too, and all these things before she died. Whether that would have happened, who knows, you know? But if you're going to go and become that kind of thing and you're going to become a producer or you're going to be, then, then you, you know, you've got to accept that most of the people walking around, they may not have loads of security around them. If you want to do this, then you've got to accept, you've got to take what comes with it, whether you're a royal or not. And it's like, well, and I think they're going to, I think this, the sympathy that they're trying to engender is going to be hard to come by, by, but especially right now, especially in the climate we're in, where things are really hard for most people, seeing this level of privilege and glamour that these people are still yeah. expecting, really, and are still thinking they they have a right to, in a way, is he's not going to go down well. It just feels really badly timed on a multiple mm. level of fronts, you know, and, and even more so than than the Crown season five was in a way, in that it's coming after the Queen's death, it's coming before Charles' coronation. The difference is that that's a piece of l- older history that's very well trod. In this case, this is a documentary that is very recent history. It's history that's still going on, and it's tr- it's very much engineered to try and make you 
be in, on their side in a battle. And what what they would have been better off doing on for I think for the for the purposes of genuine documentarian fact is making it a bit like the the princess documentary that Ed Perkins made earlier this year, which was just footage about Diana, just footage, no talking heads, no you know guiding force. It's just the footage, and then you make your mind up from that. And I think that, but they don't want to do that because I don't necessarily think it would portray the narrative they want to put across. They don't want to open themselves up to proper journalistic scrutiny, I don't think. Because, I mean, that Oprah no. Winfrey interview, whatever the hell that was, that wasn't journalism. You can't have somebody who came no. to your wedding and who's been around to your cottage interview you and pretend that that's, you know, proper journalism. There's a level of this that can never be fully known because it's about very messy, tangled human family mm. dynamics, which no, no one except the people involved are privy to. And not necessarily all of the people involved have the full picture, of, you know, at all times, because there are all sorts of mm. intermediaries and yeah. all that kind of thing. I suppose one notable thing about this documentary, especially in volume two, was that it really does seem to shift their ire, I felt, more explicitly onto Prince William. And, you know, there were there was talk about how Prince William was shouting and screaming at Harry during the, the Sandringham summit and all this. And I don't know, I, I feel like... I think a lot of people watching this will recognise that there are times in families where people fall out and where people have arguments, but it's very mm. rare that all of the blame is on one side and not the other. But I think the, yeah, the sort of sense yeah. you're left with watching this documentary is that they were epically mistreated. Now, to be yeah, fair to Harry, yeah. he does have one or two moments of reflection where he says, I I acted badly and I acted like more of a prince mm. than a, a husband. And, you know, he has one or two moments where he seems a bit more reflective, but there wasn't much of that really in the grand scheme of things. It was all about how, how, you know, how badly served they'd been by the family and the press and all of this. So I, I, I just think most likely is the truth is somewhere in between that. Yes, probably yeah, there was yeah. friction within the institution. Yes. The press have overstepped the boundaries, but I don't think that's going to tell the full tale. And obviously I have no, I, I have no insider knowledge or anything, but I, I was watch this felt, I was, I was watching this thinking I was being too, I felt it was manipulative, you know, mm. and I felt it was quite transparently yeah. manipulative, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, no, it was, it was, and I, and I think, you know, I think Harry comes out of this better than Meghan in many ways. I think, but because I think there, there are those moments of reflection. And I don't really think Meghan has that really. I think she's either just still incredibly naive about everything she went into, or she's very embittered about the whole thing and about maybe that what she actually wanted was. Yeah, she does want Harry and she wants that life and she wants them to have children. But she also wants to live the life she was living before she met him, which sounded like this, you know, she was relatively well off. She was a mid, mid-level mid actress. She had lots of mates. She was living in a nice nice little flat. She, You know, all this kind of thing. I think she still, in a way, wants that, that life because they've very much steered now to her friendship group. You know, all those people like, you know, that actress who was in Mad Men who pops up on this, Serena Williams, you know, all, all of these people who are their her her friendship circle. And Harry's at one point says, you know, I miss I miss a, miss Britain, I miss my friends. You know, he's gone from all that. And it's her orbit now that he's that he's in completely. And this very sort of preppy American, you know, entertainment world almost that she's from, that she was part of. Uh, and and it, it's a very different kind of situation. And, and at the end, it's trying to suggest that they're you know blissfully happy. And to be fair, they're living in a very nice house in a very nice part of the world in terms of weather and climate and all this kind of thing. And you know, it, it presents it as that a very happy little family. And 
they're rubbing along nicely. But if you're a very happy little family, you're just going to get on being a very happy little family. You're not going to make a six-part excoriating documentary saying how dumb boy you are, you know? So there, there is a lot of a lot of bitterness and ire and frustration. And and I, I, I just think it's misguided. This whole thing is just misguided. And you, I think you were absolutely right when you said earlier, this is not really meant for us as a, as a country. Right. This is meant for particularly America. And I said to my wife, there's no way in hell the BBC would ever make this like this in a million years, you know, if they were going to make a documentary about Harry and Meghan. Because this, this is... This is Netflix through and through, and it's aimed oh, yeah. at not at a British audience in many ways. Well, let's let's talk about that because yeah, like I said, Netflix have pitched this as a global event, and I suppose that raises the question about how damaging is this global event for the royal family? Then the fact that all these claims are being aired and so on. So when they call it a global event, um, that does seem to be fairly, you know, accurate in some ways. I think. The first half of this, I haven't seen any figures pertaining to volume two yet. I, I imagine that will come in the mm. coming days. Mm. But the first half, uh, Netflix was saying, was their biggest documentary debut of all time. They said that it was viewed for a total of 81.55 million hours by 28 million households in the first four days. So mm. that's obviously a lot of eyeballs on this. It, it signals mm. that there's a very still a, a high level of interest in Harry and Meghan and the royal family. I didn't feel like it was as must-watch as the Oprah thing was. Um, but mm. clearly a lot of people are watching it. Now, in terms of the domestic reception to this, now this, this is pretty fascinating. So there's been, you know, the, the polling company YouGov does polling about the royal family quite regularly, which is kind of funny to me. That, you know, the idea that um, someone like Princess Anne, you know, month to month is there going to be much that's going to change people's attitudes about her or prince edward you know can i just make a quick point about princess ad there was a great moment in the documentary where they're showing all the babies being brought out of the hospital and you know they're saying about how delighted they were and you see her charles and die happy bringing her out you see harry and megan william and kate and Anne then stumbles out face like fourpence with her baby (laughs) (laughs) maybe anne has got it right just be grumpy and they'll just leave you alone well i think she's pretty well liked isn't she because she the only time you ever see her is when she's out on some engagement or whatever. She <laughs> yeah, doesn't seem to, to court much publicity or anything. Anyway, yeah. so they, they, they polled the royal family's favourability ratings pretty recently. So let's have a look at how popular the individual members of the royal family are quickly before we go. So most popular member of the royal family is Prince William, the Duke of Cambridge. 77% of people have a positive view about him in this country. His wife, Kate, is very close behind, 72%. Anne is level with Kate on 72%. Uh, the king is on 63%. So he's mm-hmm. he's really surged in popularity since he became king, actually. Yeah. And he's kind of maintained it in the early months. Then you have Prince Edward, 55%. Camilla on 50%, which is a big increase on where she was a few years ago. Mm. Then you get to Harry on 33%. So... Wow. And Meghan on 25%. Oh. And bringing up the rear is Prince Andrew on 7%. So... <laughs> Well, I'd say if they weren't beating Andrew now, then they yeah, would that, really that, then it would be in problem. Then yeah, there was yeah. a more interesting YouGov poll on December the thirteenth. So, how have Britain, how have British people's views of Prince Harry and Meghan changed since the release of their Netflix series? So, thirty-four percent said no change, still have a negative view. Eleven percent said no change, still have a positive view. Four percent of people said they now have a more positive view, and fourteen percent of people, so fourteen percent said they now have a more negative view of Harry and Meghan. So that what that says to me, and there, there might be some more polling to come on this now the whole thing is out there, but what that says to me is most people are still pretty much where they were in relation to how they're thinking about Harry and Meghan 
But if anything, it's pushed views about them slightly more negative than they were previously. So if they were focused on the UK, which I don't think they were, then it's, it's backfired, I think. So mm, that's like you say, I think it'd be fascinating to see how people elsewhere take it. But mm. I don't know. Um, it's just, I think it's a sad state of affairs, you know, on a human level and and beyond. It's um, it, it doesn't leave it leaves a bit of a sour taste overall, I think. And it could be that after the poll, they poll people after these new episodes that um, given uh, all the stuff you see about the media, et cetera, et cetera, might give them a little bit of a bump in sympathy. You know, I, it's entirely possible. But I think there's a lot of cynicism with uh, with the British people about all this now, particularly. And I think they've and, and I think a lot of people will be sitting there seeing how lovely that wedding day was and how how privileged Megan ended up being in a situation. I think a lot of people think you at this actually massively, massively ups, up, up, up your life, like in terms of, uh, you know, finances, privilege status, and you've just thrown it all away. And I think that's and and I think a lot of people think that she, that she has taken Harry with her and that this would never have happened to Harry if it wasn't for Megan. And and it's hard to say. It's hard to say. I th- I think he was already frustrated and oh, drifting yeah. away um, from things and, anyway, and and despising the media. I think. Yeah, already. absolutely, yeah. because of Diana. So I don't entirely believe that narrative. I don't think she's this master manipulator who's taken Harry from from us. But I don't think this is going to help people change their minds on that at all, really, because I just think she comes across as. Uh, I don't think she comes across well. She comes across as a bit clueless, doesn't she? When she's saying things like, you know, nobody told me the words to God save the Queen and all of that. It's like, well, (laughs) it's not very hard. It's not a very hard song to learn, first of all. Nobody ever sings the second verse. So yeah, Yeah, exactly. Google things, Megan, you know. So yeah, I know. um, It does leave a bit of a sour taste, I agree. And it's interesting. This is obviously going to rumble on. I saw on Twitter... Uh, uh, and I don't know how true this is yet, but I saw that Harry's intending to sue the Mail and the Sun based on what they're reporting of this and how I know the Sun ha- is carrying the traitor and something else uh, as the title, you know. And they're, they're, yeah, they're both rags and they're, you know, they they are. I think David Olshoga, um, who's a fantastic, you know, um, writer and orator, he described them as devoid of journalism. And he's absolutely right. Like 100% he's right. But they, but they carry a lot of weight. <laughs> they, there's no denying that they carry a lot of weight and that, and a lot of people read those papers every day and they believe what's in them. So this is going to rumble on. I do think, though, you mentioned uh, David Olsoga, and I felt like some of the contributions from the talking heads, though, were a bit superficial, to be honest. Like when they talked about, yeah. um, you know, the, the, at the heart of the argument for the royal family is the Commonwealth, and the Commonwealth is just the Empire with a different name, and nothing has changed. I think that was Afua Hirsch who said that, and I was thinking, well, that's mm. not. I don't really believe that actually. I don't think mm. there is a there is much of a comparison between what the British Empire was like at its apex and what the Commonwealth is like now. Actually, yeah, I think no. it is a substantially different thing. You know, so yeah, I think when you say that, um, you know, that, that those tabloids are kind of devoid of true journalism in certain ways, that's true, but. So was this, to be honest. This this wasn't journalism, really. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Mm. yeah, I think this was kind of unsatisfying. So we will see. Um, I don't know about if people will feel a bit more kindly towards them after the second volume, because I think a lot of people will come away thinking that, actually, William and Kate are staying above this and not commenting and getting on with things. Yeah. Whereas Harry and Meghan, Harry in particular, was kind of throwing these grenades over with... Um, the comments he was saying. And I suspect actually people will feel 
more kindly towards William and Kate after all this, you know? We'll we'll see. It's something we might end up revisiting a little bit on the discourse in time. Um if there is we space definitely to do, do that. um coronation discourse, shouldn't we? Because we haven't had a coronation for yeah. years. So that's in May, <laughs> isn't it? We got a bank holiday for that, haven't we? So yeah. That's a good yeah, yeah, we do. We do. Yeah. That's that's a good one. But May's got more bank holidays than we're at work, I think, this year coming. <laughs> um so yeah, that's a that's a good idea. We'll definitely do some coronation discourse. Um or a whole episode about Coronation Street. Can't wait. It's gonna be great. Um but yeah, um it's been interesting. We will we will come back to royal stuff because we love a bit of royal chat, like we love mm-hmm. a bit of bond chat and all these little things that are happening on the discourse. So um so yeah, it's it's very interesting. I would encourage anyone to go and watch it as a documentary though, because it was very compelling, I thought, for all its you know, as we've said, it um its agendas and whatnot. It was compelling viewing, actually. So I would encourage mm-hmm. anyone to go and, and, and make your make make your own mind up from this really but and do let us know what you think absolutely as i said on twitter uh, via email um that'd be great so um so yeah we're gonna be back aren't we tomorrow carl for um a normal episode of discourse we haven't really had a normal episode for a while yeah we've <laughs> with been, all these specials been sidetracked by all these bonus episodes and so on and we so have. forth so we're gonna get back to the the bread and butter aren't we next time yeah a little bit for the next episode so uh yeah i'll uh, i'll see you then yep see you later tony bye everybody Take care, guys. Do you like crime stories, books, and people talking about those things? Then you should check out the Red and Buried podcast. A murder? A murder. Oh. I'm Frankie. And I'm Sarah. And in each episode, we pick a different theme and surprise and delight each other with a cheeky little review. As you started reading, I was like, this sounds like a romance novel. And then you got to monstrous crime. Yay, there it is. That's what we're here for, isn't it? We're also regularly visited by many talented and best-selling authors, including the likes of Chris Whitt. Whitaker, Elizabeth Haynes, Emma Stonex, Fiona Cummins, and a whole lot more. I li- obviously listened to the podcast, and I listened to you interviewing Chris Whitaker, and I thought, oh, hey, that sounds like a really good fun podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if you like your crime books with a big side of silly, this is the podcast for you. Listen to the Red and Buried podcast right now, brought to you by the We Made This Network.